Father, we, uh, we give thanks to you that we can come together in this room. Uh, we are very, very thankful to those that bring us into your presence through song. What a blessing they are to us. And, and Father, that kind of softens our heart as we listen to and sing the words of songs. It reminds us who you are, how you've worked, how you love us, how you forgive us, that you go before us, that you fight our battles. All these things are true we believe, because of Jesus. And now, Father, as we kind of pull back the curtain and look at what makes our church um, function, you know, the whys of why we're here, would you guide us in this time of study together? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Well, um, <clears throat> I've said this many times before. I'll probably keep saying it till I'm not doing this any longer. And that is just the fact that I love living where we live. I love living in Colorado. Uh, this is just a desirable place to live. U.S. News and World Report uh, last year had Denver number one place to live in the country. This year, I don't know what you all did, but we're number two. Austin is the number one. Denver's number two. Uh, maybe we got snobby. I don't know. Unfriendly. I'm not sure what, what happened. But still, we're, we're number two, the number two place in the country to live. A lot of people are moving here uh, and experiencing that. Uh, Denver is flourishing financially, actually, doing better than many cities in our country. Unemployment is lower in Denver than in many cities. The average household income in the Denver metro area is just over 70000 The average household income in our immediate area around here is 100000 And uh, we're flourishing financially. Uh, we have good schools for our students to attend, good colleges within close driving uh, distance. 76% of people uh, living in the Denver metro area uh, have gone to college and have a college degree. Uh, we enjoy great athletic teams most of the time. Not so much, you know, necessarily this year, but usually we've always got something to cheer about and, and good stuff going on. We have the best recreational opportunities, I would argue, than any other place in the country, at least as good, if not better. Just phenomenal. We have great weather. Uh, I'm so thankful for global warming because... Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. But, 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 you know, here I am on Thursday. I'm out riding in shorts, a T-shirt, dry. The trails are dry. I mean, this is, this is absolutely incredible. Uh, just a great, great, great place to live. But let me ask you this. How would you say Denver is doing spiritually? How are we doing spiritually? Is Denver a place that's flourishing Spiritually, are lots and lots of people coming to know Jesus, going deeper and deeper in their faith, so much so it's just obvious when you look at the city? That's kind of another issue, I think. You know, we live in a place that is super, super desirable, but when it comes to what matters most, namely people knowing Jesus, following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, not so much. The vast majority of people where we live are not a part of a faith community of any kind of any kind. Uh, they do not know God. And the effects of this really are myriad. And, and we see this in various ways in the Denver metro area. Families and marriages ending in divorce. Far, far, far too many. Children live with unbelievable pressure and anxiety. And even in our area, a great many children battle depression at early ages, battling depression. People addicted to performance. People addicted to materialism. People living isolated lives, battling all kinds of addictions, wrestling with numerous mental health issues, 
Lots of people in the Denver area, marginalized, not experiencing all of that, you know, fruitfulness uh, economically that I mentioned just a moment ago. You even see the effects of spiritual bankruptcy in the economic brokenness. Uh, even though most of us are flourishing, 15% of children living in the Denver metro area live below the poverty level. 15%. That's incredible. You see educational brokenness. Uh, this kind of staggered me, this statistic. Uh, 69% of our third graders in the Denver public schools are not reading at reading level. And if you know anything about the education process, reading at third grade level is vitally important because if you're not a, a competent reader by the time you're getting out of the third grade, you're now not going to learn because learning takes place through reading. So that's a very significant figure. 69% of our third graders are not reading at grade level in the Denver public schools. You see relational brokenness in the Denver metro area. There are just over 2,000 foster care homes. Uh, 2,012 kids were placed in foster care homes in 2015. 4,951 children were taken from their homes and placed in out-of-home care situations, meaning group homes or homes of relatives and that kind of thing. And you would think that because there's so much wealth here in our area that I've been mentioning, and because we want to change the world the way we do and see problems like I'm mentioning solved, you would think that we would be an incredibly generous city here in Denver, but not so much. When it comes to per capita giving of the 50 largest cities in the United States, Denver comes in at 35. Not so generous. So if you wanted to describe the Denver metro area residents, you could say that we are rich, overeducated, influential, miserly pagans. <laughs> that's, that's where we live. What a great time to be the church, right? What a great place to be the church, really. We have so much opportunity in front of us. Think about this. What if Jesus were to start happening in the Denver metro area like Jesus has never happened before? Just what if, you know, what if thousands of people turn to Christ as people have by the millions throughout the centuries on various continents all across the, this planet? What if in, in the thousands, people's lives started, uh, they started repenting of sin and confessing sin and being forgiven of sin and being healed of sinful patterns in their life? What if marriages started getting put back together here in the Denver metro area? What if God were to turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children and the hearts of the children toward the fathers? What if barriers started getting broken down that exist between ethnic groups and, and socioeconomic groups and things of that nature? What if what if people with lots of resources in their lives use some of those resources to elevate their generosity rather than elevate their lifestyle? In fact, what if God is bringing all of this opportunity and wealth and education and beauty, not so that we could be made rich and comfortable, but so that the name of Jesus could be made great? What if? What if? What if that's what God is up to here in the metro area? I want to talk this morning about what might be called the great why. Why do we exist as a church? This is a loaded question. It's a huge question. It's an important question for us to answer. And I want to do that by looking at a familiar passage in the Bible. It's at the very end of Jesus' ministry. This is, of course, after his crucifixion, after the resurrection. And, and I want to read this to you. And I want you to know I've changed one word in this passage. Those of you that are familiar with this passage, see if you can identify what word I changed. 
So again, after Jesus had been crucified, after Jesus is resurrected, this is what we read. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. That's always interesting to me. We're going to come back to that later. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make Christians of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Anybody pick up on the word I changed? Christians, that's right. Jesus uh, did not say, go make Christians of everybody. He said, go make disciples of everybody. Now, this is actually important. A lot of people think that the mission of the church is to go out and make more Christians. You know, after all, there's this kind of religion, this kind of religion, and there's Christianity that's a religion, and we need to win the battle, so we need to make more Christians. You know, that kind of thinking. And this, of course, uh, if that's the case, would lead to a really interesting question. How do you define what a Christian is? How do you do that? I was reading a book about Abraham Lincoln not long ago, and I was discussing the question. Well, in the, in the book, it was discussing the question of whether Abraham Lincoln is a Christian. You know, there's a lot of debate around that. What's fascinating about that is you first have to decide, uh, not only was Abraham Lincoln a Christian, you've got to decide what defines a Christian, if you're going to answer that question. If you were to ask the average unchurched person in the Denver metro area what they think of when they hear the word Christian, you know, how would they define it? The answer that they would give might surprise you. A couple of guys, Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, did a lot of research around this kind of recently. And they found that unchurched people think of Christians as, now these are not my adjectives, okay? These are their adjectives. When people hear the word Christian, they think of someone who's moralistic, homophobic, anti-science, judgmental bigots, who don't believe in dinosaurs, but do believe they are the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the idea that everyone else is going to hell. Woo! Wow. That's why the word Christian is kind of a complicated word in our day. Because most of us here would say, that's not me. It's not what, it's not what I believe. I'm not one of those. Now, it's interesting. It turns out that the word Christian hardly ever occurs in the Bible. In fact, only three times does the word Christian appear in the Bible. It's actually a made-up word. It's made up by, by those who were not Christians trying to describe those who were what they called Christians, those inside the church. Uh, you understand, for a time, all Christians were basically just Jews, and this thing of following Jesus the Messiah was viewed as just a subset of Judaism. But then more and more Gentiles started joining the movement. So people outside the movement had to find a way to refer to them. And so they coined this term, this word, Christian. But it turns out the Bible never defines the word Christian. And the Bible never tells anybody to become a Christian. It sounds kind of weird, I know, but go home and look it up. Jesus was not technically a Christian. You know, Jesus was in fact Jewish his whole life long, right? The word Christian, again, occurs three times in the Bible. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the Bible. In fact, you could say, and you would be right, the Bible is a book by disciples, about disciples, for disciples. Jesus did not call 12 Christians to come follow him. He called 12 disciples to come follow him. Jesus did not come to start a new religion, just one among many. He came to literally reform all religion. 
He came to love the human race in a way that, frankly, no religion, not even the religion called Christianity, can ever box in and contain. And then uh, when he sent out his followers, he didn't say to them, hey, go make more Christians. He said, go make more disciples. Now, of course, a question, at least an important question is why? Why? I mean, what's the big deal about being a disciple? And I'm so glad you asked. And I'm going to try to answer that. Uh, There was a talk by a guy named Simon Sinek. Some of you, I, I bet, have actually seen this talk. It's a TED Talk that he does. And he talks about how you should always start with the why of any organization. He talks about something called the golden circle. And he says that for any cause, any movement, any company, there will be a what? What is it you do? Well, we make cars. Well, we make computers. We make whatever, right? And he says, then there's a how. How do you make them? And this is what sets one company apart from another company, even though they might make the, most, the, the same thing. You know, how do you make them? And uh, he says that most companies know their what. You know, what is it you do? He says, some companies know their how. But he says, unfortunately, very few companies, very few organizations know the why. But he goes on to say that the real magic, the real motivator, the real important thing for any company is to know the why. It's like knowing why you exist. It's like knowing uh, why your cause, why what you do matters. It's vitally, vitally important, he says. Now, as a church, we'll just be straight up with this. Our what is to make disciples. That's really every church's purpose. That's our what. We exist to make disciples. And you can think of disciples as being apprentices. We believe that being a disciple is the greatest opportunity that has ever been offered to a human being. The gospel itself is simply the offer of the opportunity to live as Jesus' disciple. That's what the gospel tells someone. Now, why is that such a great thing? I, the best way I could think of putting this is to quote Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors. Dallas Willard is recently deceased. He's a f- Christian philosopher and thinker and theologian. Dallas Willard said this. He said, there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. The reason the offer of discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus matters more than anything else is, there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. I don't care what the problem is. You name it. Greed, fear, sexual assault, violence, injustice, divorce, racism, neglect, bitterness, death, pollution, Rejection, apathy, suffering, addiction, hunger, hatred, whatever it is, Jesus can solve it. He really can. And this is terribly important. You won't hear this much outside the walls of a gathering like this. You know, when Christians gather and we look at scripture and we talk about these kinds of things, you won't hear this much outside of a gathering like this. Human problems will not really be solved by human means, not real deep human problems. Human problems will not be solved by human nature. In fact, truth be told, human nature is our biggest problem. There are all kinds of problems that technology and innovation and education and wealth and religion will not solve. There's no problem, no problem among human beings that apprenticeship to Jesus will not solve. 
And that includes even the problem of forgiveness of sin and our greatest problem, the problem of death. Jesus solves those problems. It includes any other problem that any person is facing anywhere on this planet too, I might add. Discipleship to Jesus is the greatest offer that has ever been given to a human being because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. I've said that I think five times now. I'm gonna say it some more actually, but Jesus had nothing to say about you becoming a Christian. In fact, Jesus never used the word Christian. Jesus had a lot to say about you and me becoming disciples. In fact, one time he said this, he said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Another way of saying that, and again, I'm stealing this from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard would say this, that you wanna know what a disciple is, what a disciple does? He said this, he said, a disciple is anyone whose ultimate goal, that's important, ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would live if Jesus were in your place. That's really profound. If Jesus was you, mom, dad, accountant, electrician, policeman, teacher, uh, preacher, nurse, whatever it is, that, you know, if Jesus were you, what would Jesus do? And that's why anybody you understand can be a disciple, anyone. I love in this passage that we read that at the very beginning of the passage, even after the resurrection, some disciples we are told had doubts. That's helpful. You see, they had doubts, but they were still welcome to be disciples. They were still welcome to be used by Jesus to let others get a look at what Jesus is like. You see, because it's not about the power of the apprentice. It never is. It's about the power of the master to change the apprentice. An apprentice of Jesus is somebody who says, I commit to being with the master and learning from him how to be like him like him in my job, like him in my marriage, like him in my friendships, like him in the use of my time, my talent, my resources, whatever it is I've got. See, that's all an apprentice is. Are you with me so far? Whew, that was lukewarm. Uh, You see, an apprentice binds themselves to the master. I will follow him. I will obey him. I will seek him at every turn in my life. And I want to tell you, I believe to the core of my being that the opportunity to apprentice yourself to Jesus is the greatest invitation that you will ever be given. And you don't even have to be good at it. You just have to be steady. A lot of us are not very good at this apprenticeship, this discipleship thing. We make mistakes all the time. We get it wrong, but we keep coming back. We stay steady at it. We keep at it by the grace of God. That's what an apprenticeship is. And I asked Jesus, you know, be with me so that I can learn from him how to be like him. And this is what our church is all about. Our what is making disciples. We introduce people to the life of discipleship with Jesus. That's our what. Our why, let's be clear on this, our why is because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. That's our why. But then also there's the how. And when you get into the how, you're talking about strategy. What is our strategy for this, helping people be a disciple and live as a disciple? And we talk about this very simply around here. Uh, We talk about reaching up. We talk about reaching in. And we talk about reaching out. 
Uh, we invite everybody to develop a relationship with God, a transforming relationship. That's reaching up. That's what reaching up is. And so we gather here on a regular basis. Some of you may not know this, but we gather here every Sunday. <laughs> it appears that many of you do not know this, but we're here every Sunday at nine o'clock or 1045. Every Sunday, that's our rhythm. That's what we do. And when we gather here, we call ourselves to worship. A lot of you don't know that either because you get here 10 minutes or 15 minutes late. But when we come into this room, we, we call ourselves to worship. We confess our sin together. We sing God's praises. We give God gifts. We study. We learn together. All of these things are part of the worship experience. We find out how to arrange our lives around certain practices because these are things that disciples practice. Uh, things like being immersed in the Bible, how to read it, how to understand it. I had a, uh, a young man uh, after the first service come up to me. He hadn't been in a church in decades, he said. He wanted to know. So if I want to know more about this, what do I do? And, you know, being the theologian that I am, I was able to say, well, you know, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament in the Bible. I said, do you have a Bible? He said, I do have a Bible. And I said, well, there's an Old and New Testament. And then in the New Testament, the first four books conveniently put there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all about the life of Jesus from a different man's perspective. I said, you can pick any one of them. You got four to choose from. One of them's really short, Mark. One of them's got a lot of detail, Luke. But you could pick any one. And I said, you read that, start reading that this week, come back next week and we'll talk more about it. He said, okay, I'll do that. But you see, that's, that's this thing of being immersed in the Bible. A disciple, someone who's, who's following Jesus, gets immersed in the Bible. It talks about Jesus. It talks about God. It talks about us. It talks about the world. And uh, we live our lives around other practices like communicating with God, talking to God, around generosity, being generous the way God is generous, around servanthood, around connecting with each other so God can free us from the power of sin in our lives and help us live lives, live lives that are characterized by the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things that the Spirit produces in a disciple. That's reaching up. That's what reaching up is. And we do that here every week together because, here's the big one, because that is Jesus' rhythm. This is what Jesus did and does. Uh, you read the life of Jesus, read any one of the four gospels, you will find out that a regular pattern, a regular rhythm of Jesus' life was that when it was Sabbath, he was in synagogue, gathered with others, reading scripture, praying, reflecting, trying to apply that scripture to himself. Or if he was in Jerusalem at the temple, same thing, same practice. That was his rhythm, his regular practice, reaching up, connecting with God, worshiping God. And he did that in community with others, gathering every week. He also, if you read and read carefully, it would seem had a practice every day of doing that privately. But that's another, term, another sermon, another topic. Now, something else we do, I said reaching up. The next one is reaching in. That's something else we do here at Deer Creek Church. We practice and want to practice living in authentic community with each other. And this takes practice. This is hard to get right. But this is why we do life groups. They are, life groups are a really big deal to us here. Because nobody grows spiritually by themselves, uh, not all things being equal. Nobody grows spiritually by themselves. In fact, as I get to know some other people, people that I can practice loving, people who will practice loving me, I find that I become more like Jesus. And this whole thing is always messy. 
just is. I find that loving some of you is really hard for me to do. And if you knew me well, you would find that loving me was easy to do. You can ask people in my life group. That's not true. <laughs> it's not true. You see, in community, though, I develop friendships with people. And I get to know their story. And they get to know a little bit of my story. And these people encourage me. And they hold me up. And they forgive me when I mess up. And they help me where I struggle. And they, they can hold me accountable. All these things happen in a healthy community. And then I turn around and I do that very same thing for them. It's called reaching in. And we do this again because, important word, because Jesus did this. We don't do this because a church needs to run programs. We do this because Jesus did this. He developed and he modeled authentic community. He was always doing this. He would put people together and he would teach them how to love each other and how to serve each other and how to forgive each other and be patient with each other and help each other and speak truth into each other's lives. This is just what Jesus did. And that's part of why being a part of a little community is so critical to being an apprentice of Jesus. If you are an apprentice of Jesus, if you wanna become apprentice of Jesus, guess what? You're gonna have to get involved and mess with other people's lives and let them mess with yours. Authentic community. Now, the last part of how we go about that, the how of uh, of, of this thing of discipleship is this thing called reaching out. And understand, out is really important because the church is the one organization that does not exist for its own sake. We exist for the sake of others so that everybody in the Denver area and beyond in other parts of the world can flourish spiritually, can know Jesus. That's why what matters isn't just what happens in here when we gather. This is important, especially important for our growth, our health, uh, but, but it's not the only thing that matters what we do in here. It's not us versus them. No, 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 no. It matters that we take what we learn here and we take it out there, you see. Um, it's what happens out there in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the places where we work, uh, even in other parts of the world. We represent Jesus to these places where we do life and experience life. Um, so we're constantly asking, as I do my job, as I interact with coworkers or employees, as I interact with my neighbors, uh, my teachers, fellow students, what have you, as I, even as I recreate. How do I do these things the way Jesus would do them if he were in my place? This is apprenticeship. This is discipleship. Whether I drive an Uber car or teach in a classroom, teach children or serve folks at a restaurant or write code or work in uh, the trades as an electrician, a carpenter, a plumber, a mechanic, or work as an engineer or volunteer at a care center, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, if I'm a disciple, I'm asking the question, how would Jesus do what I do if he were living in my place? That's apprenticeship. Friends, understand, this is what makes life matter. This is what makes parenting matter. This is what makes teaching matter. This is what makes engineering matter. 
Whatever it is you do, this is what makes life matter. And our great hope is that some of the people in your life, some of the people that you love, neighbors, coworkers, you know, moms, dads, sons, daughters, whatever, will meet this Jesus and will want to follow him. That is our greatest hope. That's our dream as a church. And you know why? Because there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. That's why. And here's the thing. If you believe that, then you will become Jesus' disciple. And if you don't believe that, no matter how much somebody pesters you, you won't become Jesus' disciple. If you don't, no matter how much somebody pesters you again, you won't become a disciple of Jesus unless you come to the conclusion that Jesus can actually solve not only my problems, but any problem that any person anywhere at any time has. Now, let's be clear about this, this thing of being a disciple. Very clear. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you will be a disciple of someone or something else. Because you see, to be a disciple is just, a, it's to learn how to live. It's discovering a way to live. And we are all going to learn from somebody or something how to live, how to be an apprentice. Again, if not Jesus, to something, to popularity, to money, to personal success or comfort, to security, we will be somebody's or something's disciple. We all apprentice ourselves to some way of doing life. And here, we get to be part of a community together that offers Jesus to other people. And that, my friends, is just the best thing ever that we get to do this together. And so here at Deer Creek, uh, this morning we begin an emphasis for several weeks where we talked about some of our mission partners, our purpose, what it is we do, why we do it. And we have ministry partners all over the globe that we partner with to get this message out about Jesus. We have ministry partners in Guatemala, uh, che Ministries there. We have ministry partners in Myanmar, planting churches, uh, starting orphanages. We have ministry partners in Ukraine, ministry partners who go out with Lifeline. Uh, this is Jim Dinges. You know, it's an evangelism and discipleship tool. Uh, Bridge Ministries with Hope Fuller and so, so many more, which uh, you'll hear about. In fact, if you go out in the lobby, you can look where it says reaching out. And uh, all of those partners are mentioned there uh, on that screen. It'll take you about three and a half minutes to actually process through them, so you have to stand there for a little bit. But they are all mentioned there. We get to see this happen, too, right here in this place, right here at Deer Creek Church. You know, I mentioned the retreats. We, we were praying for the middle school retreats, and we had a student again at the middle school retreat who professed faith in Jesus. I mean, how cool is that? That's why we do what we do. They started the process of discipleship. Um, young lady I want you to meet uh, this last Wednesday she actually attended our life group now our life group is a life group for duffers I mean we're like you know my age but DJ uh, come on up DJ where are you there you are uh, by the way give DJ a hand I mean you know this is a, a little intimidating there you go. You, a DJ is um, younger than most of the people in our Bible study and uh cool stuff has been happening in DJ's life recently. She shared a little bit of that at Life Group. And so I asked her, DJ, would you be willing to, to tell us a little bit of this on Sunday morning? And she very bravely said, yes, I, I'd be happy to. And uh, I, so back before Christmas, you, um, you shared with us that you did something with your dad. 
Why don't you share that if you would? Well, I was just watching TV with my dad like I always do, and then he just switched on this uh, movie called The Passion of Christ, and I was like, all right, I'll just sit with my dad and see what it is. And as I was watching it, I was shocked by what, what was happening to this man. And my dad was like, this is Jesus. And then I started crying and crying, and then it hit me. My spirit was literally filled with gold, and I just fell in love with Jesus. And I knew I wanted to walk the path with God because Jesus is awesome. And I can't believe he died on the cross for me. And that just blew my mind, and it changed my life for the better. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah, thank you, DJ. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. And so, you know, and I happen to know this. Since then, I think you're attending every Bible study at the church. You came, you came uh, uh, was it Christmas Eve? Was that the first time here? Okay, and, and took home our little bag with a little gospel booklet in there and stuff. And God has just been working in DJ's life so much so that she shows up at a Bible study at my house. I mean, wow, and, uh, and just blessed us all by telling a little bit of her story. And uh, what's so cool uh, about this is just the, the change. I, I love the way you describe it. You did this in the first service too. You said that gold came into your My spirit, soul. your yeah. soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, that's not in the Bible, but that's <laughs> very, very cool. DJ, thank you for being willing to stand up here and share with us this morning. Of course. Yeah, thank you very much. Give DJ a hand. Thank you. I, I wanted you guys to hear that because you know what? In churches, I, that's the what? That, you know, making disciples, and we forget that. We lose sight of the importance of this supernatural transformation that happens. Now, you know, the question, of course, is how does stuff like that happen? Well, does it happen because of clever sermons or, you know, great Bible studies or something of that nature? Let me stress, it does not happen because of any of us, but because of what Jesus said at the very end of the great commission that he gave us. Remember what he said? He said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, that's, again, that's why we're here. That's what we do, this disciple-making thing. That's the greatest invitation ever extended to a human being. Come be an apprentice. Come be a disciple of Jesus. But... The reason this happens when we extend that invitation, the reason DJ found herself gripped by what she saw on the screen and even weeping, the reason that happens is Jesus said, you will not do this alone when you represent me. I will be with you. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And here's the thing, personal opinion, just a personal opinion. I think that we tremendously underestimate Jesus' determination to be with us. Whatever it is that we're facing, we think sometimes like this. We think, well, you know, I, I don't really feel his presence with me. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not thinking about him much. Uh, haven't been lately. I haven't been really doing well in terms of the stuff I probably should be doing as a, as a disciple. And I, I haven't been asking for his help. So mostly I feel like I'm doing my life. It's just me. God's not necessarily involved. Let me, let me tell you something. According to this, that is not true. You see, I don't care how you're doing. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how long it's been since you've prayed or read your Bible or felt close to Jesus. The fact is, Jesus put no conditions on his being with us always. 
And the fact is, whether you feel him or are aware of his working, I would say to you, he's working all the time in and around and through your experiences and what's going on. You may not be aware of it, but he is with you and he is working. The only thing that Jesus told his disciples to do in, here in this passage is, you know, go and make disciples, go and, and represent me. And you may be filled with doubts as you do that, just like some of the disciples originally were, the apostles. That's all right. You may be really inadequate apprentices and just, you know, we all are really inadequate apprentices if the truth be told about us. But Jesus said, anyway, I'm going to be with you always. And he is. That's why when we go out there and we tell a little bit of our story, this is what following Jesus looks like. This is who Jesus is. We're not and never are the perfect representatives but we still get to do this and he will use it. You know, if you're wondering, how do I get to be a part of what, what it is we're doing? How do I start this process of discipleship? It's not complicated. You just decide. You decide to follow. You decide to become an apprentice of Jesus. And you understand there's a lot of what that means that none of us knows when we first make the decision to follow Jesus. There just isn't. And there's even a lot we don't know while we're following Jesus or being an apprentice. We have lots of questions. We don't always get it, what God is up to. It's kind of like getting married. How many here knew what you were getting into when you got married? Yeah, none of us knew. Or having a child. How many of us wait to have children until we've dialed that in to perfection? We're ready now. We're going to do this parenting thing. Yeah, nobody Plus, being an apprentice of Jesus is very similar. You enter into it out of love and respect and admiration and thanksgiving for what you understand he's done for you, and then the journey begins. And it's always an interesting journey. You make the basic decision, I will follow Jesus, I will learn from him how to live my life, I will seek to be with him all the time, and that will be the most important thing I do. And when you do that, you're a disciple. That's what a disciple does. Now, as a church, we want to always be extending that opportunity, whether it's here where we gather or whether it's out there where we go when we're done here. You see, we're in the process of launching another church. Why in the heck would we do that? Why would we want some people from here to go to that church? Well, it's because we always want to be offering this opportunity to others to know about Jesus. We always want to be doing that. We want you, too, to always be inviting your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors to join us here on Sunday mornings or in a life group, whatever's most appropriate, whatever works best. Uh, we want to be doing that because it's just the greatest thing ever together to be involved in the process of the what, the how, the why, extending the message about discipleship to other people. We want to be a community of men and women who live and breathe Jesus so much so that others actually want to know him. And friends, that's why we're here. In the next few weeks, we're gonna be thinking together about what that looks like and working in tandem with some of the partners that we have locally, some of the ministry partners we have in other parts of the world. But I wanted us to be very, very clear about our what, making disciples, about our how, reaching up, reaching in, reaching out, and to remember the why, why do we do this? Well, for crying out loud, 
Jesus is the solution to every human problem. He really is. Even our problem of sin and death. Anyway, that, that's all I've got. So amen, we're done, right? Amen, <laughs> we're done, okay? I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and, uh, and I hope you'll be with us these next few weeks as we just explore mission together. What does it look like to do this, do this thing of disciple making together? Pray with me. Jesus, you are the one who mastered life and death and resurrection. If you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to say, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. You can do that right now. You can simply invite him into your life. If you've made that decision, if, you're, if you are a follower of of Jesus and you feel at all discouraged or like you're not doing very well or there's more you want to do, just tell him that right now. The promise is he is always with you. He will hear that prayer. He will come alongside and he will help and guide you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus, our friend, our savior, really is the master of life. And we just want together to commit ourselves to you as his apprentices, to learn from you how to lead life, what a life lived to the full looks like. And we do this this morning in Jesus' name.